Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And welcome, everybody, to Script Shop. Yes, that's right. Script Shop. It's a podcast. My name's Jack Crumley. And I'm Allison West. And we like to talk about scripts. Scripts. Scripts that you've written. Scripts that people who aren't you have written. <laughs> because I'm just talking to one person right now. That's the very first thing they teach you in broadcast. If you think he's talking to you. You're right. <laughs> You're really right. Uh, Yeah, we talk about scripts here. We've got some people we are so grateful for who have sent us scripts, their work, and we are going to have them on to talk about them. Today's guest is Leah Watson, who is calling us from Denver today, and she has written a uh, very compelling little short called Skinner. Fifteen pages in length. Yes. Yes. Uh, It's intense. It's cool. And uh, we will be having her on very shortly. We want to say a big thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati. iHeartMedia Cincinnati uh, was nice enough to provide us with the facilities in which we are using to record our voices on the machines and broadcast them out to you. Uh, We appreciate it very much uh, to Scott Reinhardt and everybody at iHeartMedia Cincinnati. And if you love our show and you can't get enough of us... And how could you not? Yes. (laughs) You should like us and follow us on all of our social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Script Shop Show. Script Shop Show. You only have to type it in once, and then your phone does it for you. It lasts a lifetime. Ugh. And also, if you're interested in being on the show, just a reminder now that we're interested in having you, and you can send your script in to scriptshop.com slash submit. Go there, get some info, send your script our way. I think it's scriptshopshow.com. <laughs> Oh, please don't fire me. I know it's okay. <laughs> please don't fire me. We talked about this at your review. <laughs> Scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And for any of you that are wondering why we're being so weird tonight, it's Friday the 13th when we're recording this. It's also oh, yeah. like, I don't know, it's ten thirteen. <gasps> what? On ten thirteen. Now this, show, this sounds like this show is going to go just fine from here on out. All right, so I'll stop talking now. No, you're fine. You're good. Uh, so we said our guest today is uh, Leah Watson, and we are going to welcome Leah Watson to the show. Leah, how is, uh, how's Denver, Colorado? Denver, Colorado is beautiful today. Yeah. How uh, Did you guys have some rain today, or was it uh, sunny skies? What you got going on out there right now? Pretty sunset? Yeah, well, actually, it's dark now, but it was beautiful, mm. like 70s, and we had snow earlier this week, but it's all gone now. That's Colorado for snow? you. Snow? Oh, yeah, that's right. I heard that the, like, the mountains got some snow, yeah? Yeah, we got some in the city, too. I was flying out the, the day that it started, but it it left just enough for first snow status, and now it's back to 70s, walking around the park in a sweater. So. Oh, man, what is climate change coming to (laughs) (laughs) Leah did you grow up in Denver Mm mm-hmm I did I'm actually sitting in my parents house right now so oh are they there the house that I grew up in no they're both gone I'm watching the dog he's passed out on the floor Mm, listeners Leah and I are old friends yeah we need to get this probably out of the way now (laughs) I call her a lot of nicknames some of them won't make it onto the show because they're not appropriate and that's absolutely right. <laughs> it's pro- that's probably pretty reciprocal, too, right? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I'm, yes. So I can be more of an asshole at times. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that word. <laughs> you make us bleep yeah, a podcast. Yeah. We'll just lapse into silence on that one. Take it away. <laughs> so, Leah, how long have you been uh, doing the writing thing? I would say that on and off I've been writing probably since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I loved writing when I was in elementary school. I recently, in going through things actually here at my parents' house, found a bunch of essay. I mean, I don't know if you're necessarily writing scripts in elementary school, but like essays and short stories. And, and I had a real affinity for Nancy Drew. And so I found a bunch of things where I was trying to sort of replicate that mystery style. And then I've had the good fortune of having 
teachers and mentors who, through various classes in high school and college, encouraged writing uh, to develop your own work and sort of cultivate your own voice. And so I'd say I've been writing since I was a kid, but I've had the good fortune of falling in with some people who encouraged me to do it um, in the later years of my life. That's cool. They saw they saw something there, right, and encouraged it along. They obviously had some kind of spark. Oh, I don't know. Or it was just a matter of um, it's a great way of creating stories that are meaningful to you mm-hmm. because they're from you. And in college, there were a few writing classes that were required, but it was a good exercise even in just practicing getting – whatever is in your head out into the world. You're also a big journaler, right? Do you still do that? Huge. Yeah. Yeah, every morning. When was the last time you wrote about me? (laughs) Yeah, Allison knows that, like, freshman year of college, I did a lot more writing than I did talking. I was that girl. I'd just sit off to the side. I think there are actually pictures of me just, like, sitting at various windows, looking out them and writing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Which, I I don't know what that says, but, yeah, writing has always been uh, a a way that I felt like I could express myself because I could take the time to pick the words that that actually housed the intention of what I was trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I think in that particular instance, Burnham was having us free write. Was he the one that did that? Um, yeah, Michael Burnham was a professor of ours at the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, where oh. we both studied acting, and he's this awesome hippy-dippy professor. I actually <laughs> saw him walking around the streets here the other day. It was so funny, because I just stopped and asked him if he wanted a ride, and we had to talk. He didn't. He wanted to just take the bus like he normally does. <laughs> anyway, he did. He encouraged a lot of free writing and free association. And uh, were you saying that that's kind of like one of the big, that was a big point for you in terms of just like housing your voice and putting it out there you're asking me in, in terms of learning how to write yeah. this way yeah oh absolutely it's i think free writing and and michael burnham's sort of introduction of free writing he encouraged a real stripping away of censorship because i think that's the oh i don't know that's sort of the death of so many stories is that you sit there and oh, well, I can't, well, no, that's not the right, oh, well, no, that, nobody's going to, and it's just like, get it out, yeah. just write, just write and write and write, because you never know what's going to come out and how the words and thoughts are going to form, and if you're continually stopping yourself, you're literally going to kill whatever spark or sort of muse is coming into you in that moment, and the more censorship that there is generally with your voice and I mean, it kills creativity. So, yeah, I would say free writing had a really significant impact on whatever I'm able to write now. It's a little bit of a fine line, though, right? Because isn't that sort of the big strength of taking the time to put words down as opposed to if you're just sort of speaking extemporaneously, the ability to sort of be a little more selective and find the right thing to, to communicate what you're trying to say? Well, I think the real joy of... Writing is that there are so many ways to do it because free writing serves a purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Like even when I'm sitting down to do a script, a lot of the time I've formulated the image. So I just need to sit down and write it out. And then, for example, like the script that I've sent to you guys is probably version 30, 40, 45 of of what I, of what this story, of the iterations of this story. So free writing is a way to just get it out. And then going through and refining and filling, because especially with film, you have to get it down so that every word is significant, because all of the real estate on a page, because it's being filmed and that's such an expensive medium, is it it all has to be exactly, um, it has to be very specific. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a fine line, but I think it's knowing like which stage of the process you're in and also knowing what you're using that particular tool for. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're going to get into the script, and I don't want to rush things along at all, but I, I just one of the things that we were saying before we uh, started doing the show here with you, this the 15 pages for this script, this is 
maybe the most efficient script that I've read out of anything that we've done yet for the show in terms of building the world, number of characters, things that happen. This is a very, very efficient script. Oh, wow. that's fantastic because that that was by design. So I'm glad to know that the design was what I had intended. I've, I've This is actually a very different format or sort of structure of this story. It looked completely different before this draft. Mm. And I... I think um, I realized that something about the other way that this, the other way that I'd been writing it was not working. And I honestly think I was on a road trip and I just was sitting in the car and I went, oh, you know, this or that or this. And then I came back and I rewrote the whole thing. And this is what ended up coming out. So, yeah, it's a lot more efficient way of approaching this story. And, um, so I appreciate that 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 you made that comment. Yeah, it came through. That came through big time. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and we touched a little bit on, so obviously we mentioned that you and I went to school together here in Cincinnati, but mm-hmm. you're from Denver. So let's get a little bit of a timeline on you in terms of locations, et cetera. So you grew up in Denver mm-hmm. and then went to Cincinnati. Correct. And then fill in the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to let you, I mean, you were nailing it. But, um, <laughs> I'd start making stuff up eventually. It's the Leah Watson <laughs> bullet point biography. I, right. <laughs> yes. When I do my, my biography, Allison will be the author. Yeah. It's going to be very entertaining. And oh, my maybe, God. I have, a, I have um, a personal story. Do you remember once? Okay, guys. We were making a video for my dad for his birthday, for Father's Day. Uh-huh. And Leah was recording it, and I was playing myself. But I thought I was so funny that I couldn't get through it. I kept laughing and ruining the takes. So finally, we switched it so that Leah played me. <laughs> and she did it so much better That's than so I funny. ever could have done it. That's such a funny idea. Yes. So I would love to author your oh, biography, the Patriarch. Leah. Yes. It called, and it was brilliant. Let me know if you still have it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Denver. I went to Denver School of the Arts, graduated in 07, and went to Cincinnati. And I was there for about a year and a half. And for a variety of reasons, but I think mostly just because Cincinnati had been exactly what I needed up right until the point that it wasn't, I ended up transferring back to Colorado. And I went to school in Boulder, at University of Colorado Boulder, for about two semesters, and then I transferred down to University of Colorado, Denver, um, and I ended up getting a degree in theater, film, and television production from the University of Colorado, Denver. So after that, I was in Denver for another two years about and moved out to L.A., and, and you I've been were in doing L.A. for theater. the last three and a half years. It, I'm and sorry. I moved back to Denver in the last, like, month or so. Um, that post-college time when you were in Denver, you were doing theater and kind of producing some of your own work, right? Yeah, I was. Um, I had a group that I had graduated from UCD with who were an incredible group of creatives. I mean, truly extraordinary, not just in terms of generating ideas, but also in terms of producing and executing them. And I had the very good fortune of meeting up with them and working on several of the projects that they were working on, and they helped me to produce a small web series. And then I also was involved in theater at the time, doing shows primarily in the Denver-Boulder area, and um, also was involved in a web series, a horror web series called After the Dark Lights with a group of wonderful local writers and actors here in Denver that was just a blast. Like, there's nothing like a horror film or a horror series to to have a good time. I mean, you're getting blood splattered and... Anything's possible. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Like, I had this huge prosthetic bite on my arm at one point, and I was, like, bleeding out of my nose and my ears. It was (laughs) so much fun. So, yeah, totally gross, right? But I have such a weak stomach for that stuff. So this, the Skinner script is really, there's a lot of brutality in it. And uh, is horror and this sort of thing, is, this, is, that, is that very much in your wheelhouse then? <laughs> um, <laughs> Especially talking about writing mystery and thriller as a child. Yeah. I know. Who are I you? Say, <laughs> I would say that 
if you were to ask my parents, they would say that I probably had a healthy awareness of death from a pretty early age. It wasn't that I was necessarily comfortable with it, but they never made an attempt really to shield me from it. Like both of my grandmothers died when I was quite young and my father was a firefighter and my mother was a nurse. And anytime that there was a memorial service when I was a kid, chances were they would take me along um, just because they, of their line of work and because I think they understood the natural order of things and never made much of an attempt to protect me, if if that's a thing that you can do from it. Sure. Um, so for whatever reason, maybe it was just inherently who I am as a person or the sort of way that my parents approached that subject matter as a child. Um, it was I, and has continued to be something that has shown up in in my work just generally i tend towards the dark it doesn't mean that i don't appreciate the lighter aspects of the human experience but i think there's something really fascinating about the darkness all right so how many halloweens did you dress up as wednesday adams um actually none but i was i was known for my hermione granger uh. which i think perfectly illustrates the point yeah how that's kind of the light side of it out as a kid <laughs> oddly enough that is yeah. cute um, no Wednesday Adams, but Hermione Granger, which, like I said, I think perfectly illustrates. Yeah. Um, so when you were out in L.A., what did you find yourself getting into? So when I moved out to L.A., I was at a point where I was starting to realize that the lifestyle of an actor wasn't particularly appealing to me or it didn't resonate. And I remember I signed actually pretty quickly with an agent who really couldn't do anything for me because I wasn't SAG-AFTRA. And so I had gone out there to pursue this acting career path and then suddenly realized that it wasn't a career path that aligned with my value or the set of experiences really that I wanted to have. And when my agent dropped me, I remember being so relieved, which was a huge Ooh, indicator. And at that yeah. point in time, I actually had started, I had started before I I left Denver, I'd started pole dancing. And I say that and people immediately perk up and they're like, oh, you're a stripper. And I'm not. That's a fantastic choice for the women and men who choose that. But I had started at this studio as like a recreational fitness. Yeah, it's very much um, a fitness thing anymore. Say again? It's very much a fitness thing nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would say even too, starting to verge into another means, especially for adults women to have a creative outlet. And so I had started doing that in Denver. And when I went to LA, I, again, got incredibly lucky or, you know, the universe was, I was in this sort of like synchronous current with the universe, whatever you want to call it. And I stumbled into a place called the choreography house. And this is run by a woman named Kelly Yvonne, who is one of my greatest mentors. And I, over a period of three years, became more and more involved at the studio, more and more involved in the training required to, I guess, sort of participate in this discipline at the level that I wanted to and was incredibly fortunate to be able to train with some of the the best pole artists and teachers, oh, cool. honestly, I would even reason to say in the world. And that became my primary creative outlet. So during my time in LA, that was my main focus. Yeah. And it was funny because it was something that I wanted to try and it suddenly became my life. But it provided me what I had always wanted from acting without feeling like I needed to justify my presence or pay for headshots or like yeah. Get into the space. I could just go and do it. Yeah. It's all the benefits and none of the cost, right? Yeah. Right. Actually, it, it it was. It sounds fun. It's so much fun. Oh, my God. It's so much fun. There's Like, for me, there's nothing like flying. I, I really will go for anything where my body is, like, airborne. Mm. <laughs> it sounds so crazy. But monkey bars were my thing as a kid, and I realized... <clears throat> also, I we skydove together. What? I know. Leah and I skydove for, like... <laughs> was it your 21st birthday? Was that it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> we crazy. No kidding. 
Yep. <laughs> Allison was very brave with me on my 21st birthday and got into a, a plane that we then consequently jumped out I of. I would do it at, in a drop of a hat. Wow. I love that kind of stuff. Wow, have at that. Call me anytime. So when you say flying, in, in the terms of the, the, the pole dancing and the, the fitness aspect of it, is it, I mean, you climbing all the way up and coming upside down, or is it those, like, strappy things that you swing around with? Um, I'm not sure if I follow. I did. Um, you know, Jack wants to know if you use fabric to dance on poles as well. Oh, that's that's oh, it. Oh, yes. So I use pole, just a pole. And then there's okay. also this apparatus called tissue pole, okay. which uses a compression clamp at the top of the pole. And it has what a lot of people recognize as, as silks coming yeah, yeah, down. Yeah. So you integrate silks and pole. And then recently, after coming back to Denver, I went and did static trapeze for the first time and i'm totally in love what is that so, static trapeze so it's not the kind where it's, it's low it's not high and you're not like swinging from one and jumping off and catching the hands oh my gosh the tra- no no it's not that. not that the trapeze is like probably <laughs> five feet off the ground five feet off the ground and it's <laughs> attached to a single point in the ceiling so it like swings in a circle and back and forth oh that sounds you can awesome do all these incredible things on it yeah, I'm totally hooked. Nice. So, uh, I hope you put some new videos up on your Instagram because I want to see so badly. <laughs> now, now I will. I'll try to get into the space and do it so that you can see okay. what it is. Um, you know, just talking about these things, too, uh, I, pole dancing, you know, you say, of course, people perk up when you start talking about it and stuff. But I am interested in knowing what it was kind of like telling your parents when you were getting into this stuff. Mine would flip out just because they're very traditional <laughs> and very old-fashioned. Oh, burgers. Yeah. Um, so... It's interesting, actually, because it took me a while, especially to tell my dad. I am so grateful to my parents because I always build up these things in my mind that I think are going to elicit some sort of reaction from my parents. My mom's my mom's usually totally on board with whatever I'm doing, and my dad is the one who's a little bit more skeptical or weary, even sometimes just because he's concerned for my safety, as yeah. dads will be with their you know, they're little girls, but I didn't tell, I think my dad for a while. And then at some point it came out and we had sort of like a conversation, non-conversation about it. And <laughs> like, what, what is that? Like he goes, where did these great boots come from? Like, yeah, so I'm doing this thing and they're like, oh, and you're like, yeah, it's, you know, I've been going for like two months and they're like, oh, okay. Okay, and then you just sit there for a second. And you're like, okay, well that cat's out of the bag. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the move, right? You you start doing it, and then because it, it's easier to ask, sometimes it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Right, exactly. Which is generally my style. I'll just go ahead and do something, and then try to figure out how to apologize later. But yeah, sure. yeah so so anyway, it ended up being not a big deal, but it definitely wasn't something that we'd like sit and talk about. Right. And I don't remember ever like showing him my videos really or anything like that, even though my particular style isn't, isn't, um, I wouldn't say it's in the exotic. Um, Mm -hmm. it's more modern contemporary, but anyway, um, within the last probably six months, I, I can't remember how it came up, but my dad was telling me about, he's a part of this like dog and gun club out on the East Plains of Denver. Um, that seems dangerous. Giving dogs guns. Like <laughs> I said, get, giving dogs guns sounds incredibly dangerous. <laughs> I know there. That's why you have to be out on the East Plains. Cause their aim isn't very good. Fair enough. Um, so he's out there with this group of people. That's like very, um, I'd say they're a more conservative bunch and like really lovely very good with the hunting and the dogs and the, the the acting dancing daughter I feel like is a bit of an anomaly and anyway he was telling me about how he was talking to one of the guys and the dancing came up and my dad was like yeah and I was telling him you know how strong you are and like yeah. how amazing it is that you're doing what you're doing and I was like oh my god that's cool like yeah. After five years or so, it's about how long I've been dancing. To have him say that yeah. was such a, honestly, to go from having these awkward conversation, non-conversations, to hearing that he was talking about how strong I am. Yeah. Which, even in terms of, like, gendered 
conversation, having your dad talk about how strong you are yeah. is an accomplishment. Yeah, that's the dream, me, right? It's, it's this like breakdown of certain ideals of like what your little girl, the compliments that you'll give your daughter to people in conversation. I was right. like, strong, cool. Like yeah. that means a lot to me. He's got your back. You know, he's yeah. got you. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it felt like. And, and it gets you. And that, <laughs> yeah. So, so in terms of telling my parents, it was this interesting sort of evolution of being afraid and then realizing that it was important to me and I was going to do it either way. And to have them on board at a certain point, um, just was really Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, before we dive into the script, I do want to touch on the sexual aspect of this type of dancing, mm-hmm. too, like the sexuality of it and what that means to you. Well, when you say sexuality, like, do you mean the, the dancing or how it or was there something in the script that <clears throat> seemed like a. You know, honestly, Leah, what I'm talking about is like the way people feel when they watch you or other dancers like this dance. Like, it, it's intrinsically mm-hmm. sexual. And mm-hmm. I think that's, I personally think that's a very positive thing, and I like that. Mm-hmm. But I wondered if that has an aspect that really draws you to it as well. And, and mm-hmm. honestly, if we're just going to get real personal on the show, like, what sexuality mm-hmm. means to you. Interesting. Um, oh, wow, that's a really good question. So I feel like pole, first of all, gave me my body back. Um, I had this really interesting moment when I was 25, I suddenly realized, and this is honestly what it felt like. I realized I was going to get a tattoo and I knew exactly what it was and I knew exactly where it was going. And I agonized over it. Agonized. Like, because you felt like it was fate and it wasn't your call. You just knew it was going to happen. Well, yeah, people always talk about, like, well, how did you know you're going to get a tattoo? And honestly, I just got literally to a point in time, and your higher self, like, your divine self, whatever it was, I, people believe in all sorts of different things. But for me, it's this, like, voice in my, it's even beyond my head, but it's just this this knowing, it's this instinct that kicks in sometimes. And it'll say something, like, for example, you're going to go skydiving mm. for my 21st birthday. I was like, okay, sure, great. That's terrifying. Let me call Allison. Yeah, let me call Allison. She'll talk me out of it, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) And she did it. She got on the plane with me. Um, And so I I realized I was going to get this tattoo. And I was driving back from the consultation and agonizing over it. Like, oh, my God, what if it's not the right thing? What if this? What if that? What if this? What are people going to say? And I went, oh, my gosh. You don't feel any ownership of your body. Oh, man. You are the only person who makes decisions about what goes on your body, what your hair looks like, whether or not you wear makeup, the color of your blouse. And this is, and this is the ideal, right? Not everyone has that privilege. Um, everyone, I feel, should, but we live in a culture. Sometimes people live in situations where they literally have no um, power or they feel that they don't to make these kinds of decisions. And I was sitting there in my car and I went, oh, my God you don't feel like you can make these kinds of decisions about your body. Well, I'm an actor. What I shouldn't be getting permanent tattoos. So you're going to make decisions about what should be going on your body based on some hypothetical future employer. Interesting. Mm. And I realized, oh, right. And I had this moment, and it literally was a moment, I remember it, where I went, your body is yours. You decide what goes on it. If you want to get a tattoo, you get a tattoo. If it keeps you from getting a job in the future, that's not a job that you should have had. Right. And so I went and I got this tattoo, and it led to another tattoo, and it led to, in more subtle, nuanced ways, especially through pole, this understanding that, like, I can move my hips. And, oh, I started pulling in capris. And then suddenly one day I was comfortable in yoga shorts. And then suddenly one day I was comfortable in the more like conventional pole bikini bottoms. And I developed my own style within that. But pole gave me back 
my sense of power and my sense of ownership over my own body. Yeah. It also, even taking away the sense of ownership, gave me back a relationship with my body. Um, and I feel like I was going into it with this idea of being sexy, right? And I remember, Allison, you can relate, Rocco talking about how you can't look at someone and say, play sexy, because sexy is an abstraction, right? Sexy, yep. when we watch people who are inherently sexy, it's because, at least for me, I've found they're incredibly present, yeah. and they're very focused. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's that more like, um, I'll leave it at that. For me, when I look at people who I view as being very sexy, they're very present, they're generally very comfortable in their bodies, they're not embarrassed to approach someone, let's say, with the intention of sort of um, I mean, lack of fear. Lack sex. of fear there, yeah. Right. So it took away the abstraction of sexy. It even went beyond being sexual, and it gave me back this relationship with my body where a part of, especially being a woman, is moving your hips and, like, having curves and being really familiar with, like the, the way that your body moves in space and it has nothing to do or it got away from this idea of like, especially being sexy for a man and like just being empowered for myself. Yeah. So I would say that sexuality for me is a really, it's a really personal and it's a really important subject, especially because I feel like so many people in our culture are disconnected from their bodies and the power that's inherent in the body, in the way that you move through space, the way that you can stand and just be as a human being, not for anyone else's benefit except for your own. And especially, I think, the way that women are viewed as either sex objects or as somehow threatening, if you're in touch with that. Um, it's something you don't agree that's with. Something that I'm getting more and more interested in is how this plays out, especially with young women, like 18 and below. And people are so worried about the sexualization of women. But honestly, I feel like the sexualization is coming from the observer. And oftentimes yeah. girls are, are just desperate to be in their bodies. Yeah. And the people that are sexualizing it are the ones that are watching and saying that it's sexual. So yeah. all the so stuff that I... It's a whole rabbit hole. No kidding. So I think, I feel like all the stuff that you've been talking about now really informs the script that uh, that you wrote that we're talking about, Skinner, which is a brutal, they're, they're, it's very intense, uh, there's an element of sexuality to it, not necessarily a positive one, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like everything is funneled into, into that script. Do you want to set the tone and setting of this uh, script for us, and then we're going to read a short selection from it? Yeah, I think really basically I'm fascinated with post-apocalyptic. So it's set in a time after what we know now when things have, let's say, disintegrated a bit. And as far as we know in these 15 pages, that world is dark and it's fairly brutal um kill or be killed and it's based a lot on the interactions between predator and prey so oh, okay. that's yeah. what i'll say about that that is <laughs> yeah it is i just love the way you talk about things leah <laughs> there's a reason we're friends and it's because i can't get enough of you <laughs> okay listeners um we're gonna dive into the script skinner uh, we're starting at the beginning. You're just going to get a couple of the first pages. We have Jack reading the character of William, which is voiceover for a bit of the beginning. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll be able to tell when that changes over because I'm going to be reading narrator. And then we also have Frank Steele, producer extraordinaire, here in the studio. Say hello, Frank. Hello, Frank. <laughs> Perfect. So, kills me every time. And Frank's going to be playing... Um, a character as well, man number one, because we save all the good roles for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's number one. That's, I mean, you know. There are no small parts. <laughs> he's the number one right. man. Um, and Leah, thanks for listening in to us as we share this script with all of our listeners. All right, so here we go. Top of the page. The Earth. 
Rotating, rotating, rotating. Continents, oceans, the swirling of clouds, rotating into night. Vast city centers visible from space, stretching through the black like, like a spider's web of light. The United States. Slowly, from coast to coast, the lights are extinguished. Like synapses dying, each of the web's connections flicker to black until the continent sinks in darkness. Prairie. Night. The full moon shines down on an endless grassland. Prairie grasses rustle in a gentle breeze. A two-lane road, empty, recedes into the dark distance. Overnight, darkness descended. A new world order was established. A two-lane road melts into the horizon. Yellow double lines follow the sloping pavement, off into forever. The natural order, predators, re-established their place at the top of the food chain, restoring balance, eliminating those that were too slow, too weak, too soft. They stalk, moving through the shadows, stalking their prey. A dark, mid-sized sedan sits on the gravel shoulder, showing all the signs of abandon. The doors are cracked open, the trunk bobbing gently in the breeze. Two roller bags lay haphazardly near the bumper, an open zipper revealing bits and pieces of a child's colorful Disney princess wardrobe. Bell? And one commands more fear than the rest. A horror that stalks prey without a sound, moving through the shadows of camps, picking off whole groups. The only sound that this monster produces is the scream of grown men. Feet running. Past the vehicle's carcass... And over the berm. Screams as a slow blade cuts them from heel to head, keeping them alive as their skin is peeled from their feet to their fingers. Quick footfalls through the high grass, the path illuminated by the moon in a single headlamp. Darkness brings all kinds of horrors, but none so fearsome as the one whose name men won't even utter. Up ahead in the distance, hidden among the trees, the glow of a camp can be seen. Camp night. The glow of a campfire illuminates. Rabbit carcasses strung between trees next to clothing set to dry. Water bags filled and hung. Tents between trees, backpacks, and other equipment rests at the ready. Rifles, knives, crossbows, spears lean against every available surface. The glow of a campfire illuminates men. Sitting, standing, perched in trees listening with rapt attention to William, young, weathered, and disarming. The kind of disarming that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Skinner. Eyes grow wide. Several men in the clearing shudder. Charlie, young, handsome, with kind eyes that he desperately tries to hide, sits on the periphery making repairs to a worn backpack. At the sound of the name, his head betrays a gentle shake of nonsense. Few men have seen this predator and lived to tell. You saw it? I did. A hush falls over the group. I did. Arms like trees. Nails as long as my fingers. Burns across the face. Barely human. The smile of a jackal. End scene. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Thank you, Leah. Oh, of course. That's fun to hear that read out loud. That's intense. Oh, yeah, it <laughs> That's is. a really intense script. <laughs> <laughs> so, where where in the world does this idea come from of this post-apocalyptic world, this monster uh, that is not as much of a monster as William wanted to describe it as? Where, where in the world did all this come from? A breakup. Oh, my gosh. No kidding. Heartbreak. Tell us more. Let me grab a glass of wine and come over in my pajamas. (laughs) Everyone pull out your chocolate, grab your wine, sit down. So a breakup. A breakup. It came from a breakup. Um, A few things. The story started for me when I came back to Denver after said breakup, I think it was the first or second time I'd been back since this had happened. I was living in LA at the time. And my friend dropped me at a, an appointment. I can't remember, doctor, dentist. And I didn't have a car. So I told her that I'd be fine walking back to my parents' house because it was about a mile and a half from where they lived. Well, while I was in the, the appointment, it 
rained quite a bit outside. And luckily, I had brought my backpack with me, and I had worn, I think, rain boots. And so I walked out, and it had rained. There was water everywhere. And I just put on my rain slicker in my backpack, and I just started to walk. And there's a creek that runs through Denver. It's called Cherry Creek. And walking across this bridge, from one side to the other, in the middle of a metropolitan center, these trees and and huge bits of like foliage here and there, and this running creek obscured the fact for just a second that I was in a city. And that was where this story started for me, was walking in Denver and feeling like I was on a bit of an adventure, because there's nothing like a backpack and a rain slicker to really make you feel like you are somebody. So... I'm I'm walking and there are cars going by and I was like, well, what would it be like or what would the story be of a young woman walking through a deserted city by herself? And that was where this started. And I had in my own personal life at that time this heartbreak that I was working through in the sense, like there's nothing like a breakup to make you feel pretty isolated. <laughs> and um, isolation plus the actual like physical pain of heartbreak plus this sense that like everything's just changed in your life because you thought you were going one way and then the rug got pulled out and suddenly you're left with you're left with what for some people it's an incredible opportunity all of a sudden you have this open space and expanse that you can move into and for some people depending on the type of breakup that it is or the reason why you lose your significant other it's a very, very dark time filled with this sort of like festering sense of what could have been. And so anyway, all of that compounded into this moment where I'm walking through Denver um, and this was what it ended up inspiring. So we didn't actually, we didn't do our normal routine of uh, breaking down some of the beats because things... It's because the script is so empowering. I know, it's really good. Things take a bit of a twist once these guys that are in this world and are sitting around a campfire and talking about this monster that the dude that's leading the group says he's seen. And he, this this monster, as described, skins people alive. Right. And then, Jack, what happens? Well, they they're, they're one of the guys in the group has just gotten done raping a woman to death because that's what these dudes do. They find out that there is this lone woman sort of in a clearing not too far from their campsite. And William leads his gang over to her. And it's about to be what they've probably done a million times before. uh, Except this woman, Elle, whom they happen across and William is on top of and has his hand over her mouth. And he's got a knife and he's, you know, taking this horrible control of the situation. Pretty, pretty brutals, brutals, brutal. I don't know. It's intense. It's upsetting, you know. It is. and But as things come along and he's reading her this speech that I'm sure he said to many a woman that he's brutalized, uh, at one moment he gets distracted and that's all she needs. And she very much and very quickly turns the tables on him and come to find out she's this monster that everybody's been talking about. She's a tricky lady. She mm-hmm. knows what's up. Um <laughs> <laughs> Leah, talk to us a little bit about, so, you know, you you became inspired just kind of exploring what it would be like to kind of live in this isolated world. Did you just naturally combine that with your fascination with, like, the macabre? Say that again, my fascination of the macabre? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Ask the question again, I'm sorry. Just, you know, the theme of this is post-apocalyptic apocalyptic a bit western mm-hmm. and uh and, and and definitely focuses on this type of brutality what inspired mm-hmm. that so to answer in a couple of parts first of all i think that it's very important for me to give you my definition of apocalyptic okay in western tradition we think of something like the walking dead the complete dissolution of society, stripping it down to this sort of bare bones, um, wild west, small groups of people moving in gangs, Mad Max style, where there's this control of resources and the rest, right? Right. 
Well, I remember someone telling me, it was Stephen Shore, actually, Allison, one of our classmates from college friend. Shout out to hashtag Stephen Shore. What up, Stephen? Hashtag Stephen Shore. He told me that in Eastern tradition, apocalypse means to lift the veil. Okay. So in Eastern tradition, apocalypse is seen as being a major transition point. I'm going to butcher this. I don't have the actual definition in front of me, but it's a lifting of the veil from like ignorance to knowing. And I think that that's really fascinating. Because it's almost like because, a rebirth sort of thing. Go ahead. It's, it's almost like a, like a rebirth. It's not maybe as negative? Exactly. The connotations are not nearly as negative. It, it in fact, could be described as necessary. Mm-hmm. And so I was operating. I mean, the, it's presented in the sort of, at least up until the point where, where I am at right now with the script, where I've stopped, um, it's presented in the way that I've seen it done, but it doesn't stay there. The idea of apocalypse for me and investigating a post-apocalyptic world is really this sort of metaphor for like lifting the veil going from ignorance into knowing. So that's the first part. And then I would say the second part is that I have read scripts. I've been involved with scripts. I've read stories where it felt like violence was used because it's exciting. Yeah, sure. And I I remember, for example, reading this one script where there was just like excessive amounts of rape in it. And that's really um, horrifying. And honestly, for me as a woman... And, and a woman who has never experienced sexual trauma in the way that so many women and men in this world have, that's something that I wanted to be very careful of mm-hmm. um, because it's not something that should be glorified. It's not something that should be used to excess. It's not something that should be put in a script because it's exciting or convenient or it pushes the story along in some way. I was very specific when I was starting to write this about the kind of brutality that I thought would exist in a world like this, in the world that we live in, let's be more specific, and implying it or showing it in a way that, like, really set the tone and what is, what's happening. Obviously, a theme of this is the sort of brutality that women often face, not just physically, but also psychologically. Um, And so I, I think that it's, important it was important to me to write it the way that i wrote it because i feel oftentimes too like like um i I don't i don't know i feel like the perspective of a woman writing violent brutal stuff is different than a man yeah i don't know it yeah, does. I don't know if that's true. But that's well, I how think I it, felt it. So yeah, it, it came out. You know, it, it seems to. So we talk about this lifting of the veil, and there is this moment in the script where the men in this camp have their veils lifted and mm. realize that this horrible monster that of lore is actually this woman. So there's this <laughs> realization that comes out of that. And having that really be the heartbeat, this lifting of the veil that that empowers the brutality, I think could be a bit of what you're talking about from this different type of perspective of using brutality mm. to tell really what your point of view is in this particular setting. Well, and also I want to point out too, I think that the, in terms of lifting of the veil, this this woman, this L character who is revealed as this quote-unquote Skinner monster, whatever. She's only defined as a monster by these guys who (laughs) are monsters also. I mean, is she a monster or is she kind of the hero of this thing? Right. Well, and and I think, too, that it's um, like something that it will get into later. It hasn't been written in this iteration of the script, but it's a conversation about like what happens in the sort of what's the quote like 
be careful that in hunting monsters you don't become one yourself or something like that. Um, This sort of idea of, well, she does these horrible, like that's a terrible way to die. We've all, or maybe we haven't all seen Game of Thrones, but like Ramsay is a villain for many reasons, but the way that he kills people by flaying alive is horrific. Yeah. And so what does that say about, yeah, there's these brutal men, and you see them do a terrible thing, and you know that they've done it before, and then they suddenly wander into a clearing, wrong place, wrong time, wrong woman, and they end up falling victim to this, what you know you think is a sort of figment of the collective imagination, and it turns out actually is not. Yeah, because she skins these dudes. (laughs) Say again? She skins these dudes. Right. So what what happens when when that when this person who's perceived as like sort of ridding the world of these awful people does it in that way? Mm-hmm. You know, it shouldn't be a clear cut answer as to whether or not that's better. So in in the script, there's a there's a character that we sort of alluded to in the little bit that we were reading this Charlie character who sort of ends up, mm-hmm. at least by the way the script ends, surviving everything. And it's sort of him and Elle just kind of sitting in this field looking at her. And she's, you know, what's your story? Is, is do you see this? Is this Elle's story? Is this Charlie's story? Do they team up? What What's the wh- wh- where do you think things go from here? I, I'm curious. <laughs> um, yeah, I. It's funny, actually, because the, the Charlie character is based on, I, I think, well, I don't think I know because I'm the person who wrote it, but um, he's based on a friend of mine from high school who one of the questions that um, you were talking about in the, the email that you sent is, like, who do you send your writing to? And this Charlie character is actually based on a close friend of mine who's one of my um, closest creative sort of confidants and um, sounding boards. And so their relationship mirrors a real life relationship of mine and the sorts of people that you run into who trigger an evolution in you. So yes, I see them being, uh, maybe a reluctant pairing for some time. Mm -hmm. Um, and in one of the other drafts of the script, they knew each other before, and then that got too complicated because it felt like there was a lot of exposition. And so I thought, well, what if they, what if they met each other, and she sees in him this like these kind eyes that he's continuing to try to hide, right? Because kindness is weakness in this particular world, and she sees that in him. And, and in the scene where they're all in this grove together, her being sort of taunted by this William character and she sees Charlie and there's something about him that's different. So she decides to spare him and have a conversation with him mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So yeah, I, I see them, them being an, a sort of unlikely pair and going on a bit of an odyssey together. So is that where you see this story go? I mean, what, where do you want, what do you want to do with this? Is, is this, cause it very much feels like there's a lot of potential for this to yeah. be expanded into a much larger story. What's uh, what, what would you like to see happen with this? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think when you get to a certain point with a story, you have to start thinking about the medium that you want to see it presented in. Sure. Um, because I think it would make a lot of sense as a feature, but it does a feature provide enough time. It could be a series, but a series I would want to be very specific about exactly how long it would go. Um, would it be one, two, three seasons? I don't see it really being much more than three. So it, it's just this kind of back and forth of, do you see it as being episodic? Do you see it as being feature? And then writing it as such. But I think definitely a larger, it wouldn't be a short film. Something like this too, like what you currently have just, um, Let's just put on my Allison, pretend she's a consultant at times. Mm. But so, you know, as it's currently written, it reads as a sizzle that you could easily produce. It's out on a prairie. It's like Mm -hmm. the trickiest thing you'd have to deal with is lighting people at night and then um, very precise choreography with the rape. But in terms of getting it out there, producing something Mm -hmm. like this 
really could be done at a very affordable budget that you could then, if done properly, do really well with on a festival, an independent film festival circuit, which of course could lead you to more opportunities. Um, have you thought yeah. about that? I have. It's funny going back to. Well, I can't remember exactly what we we're. Something triggered this thought earlier on, but something that I continually come back to is like, when is it ready? When is it ready? Well, it's not ready now. Like I haven't, I, I don't have the rest of the story fleshed out. I don't even know if it would be a series or a feature. I, I'm not even sure. Like I only have, I have a lot more of it in my head, but I only have 15 pages actually written, you know? And so, well, I just, I just don't know if I want to do anything with it until I have it more developed. And so the thought has occurred to me, um, and I've definitely gotten into trouble before not having things flushed out beyond uh, current draft and wanting to have more done, more organized, more thought out mm-hmm. before I get other people involved with it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's interesting too, though, how you could find, I mean, it sounds like you have a really great resource of team members already. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I find when traveling is that you just meet such amazing people who suddenly mm-hmm. can help develop ideas that have not been developed. But of course, like if you're, you are or aren't ready for those things, that always feeds into it too. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's just a matter of sort of feeling out the balance between like when, when you're just holding back and you need to take a leap of faith and when you're actually not ready to to bring something out into the world. And it's a very fine line. And I would say I tend to be overly cautious, but I've also gotten myself into situations where I was underprepared and that is never fun, especially when you're sort of like leading a project Mm -hmm. can lead to some, uh, well, you can destroy relationships that way I've learned. Mm. So I try to be very careful about that. Do you know, have you thought about just moving forward with it in a very specific role, like as the director and not necessarily a producer? Um, I haven't. I, I, feel like act, mm. I feel like probably at this point it would be worth it to start getting a sense of, of what, because it always helps to have proof of concept. Mm-hmm. So having something that has actually been made of a script is always helpful. But yeah, I've thought often about what I would want, like the role that I would want to play, um, even because I've tried acting and directing at the same time. And you really have to have someone who's acting as, um, I, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but I remember realizing that it would be much more helpful to have someone around who could take over the directing responsibilities when I needed to be able to act. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that in place the last time that I tried to do that because I write for myself so that the character of Elle is written for me. So I knew that I'd want to be in it. Yeah. Um, But I also have the vision for it. So balancing that without being a control freak about it. Yeah. Uh, Well, I hope all kinds of good things for this. Yeah, seriously. It's incredible. Yeah. And listeners, if you haven't read this script, <laughs> we've got to find a way for you to get a, a copy of this. Leah, how could somebody get a hold of you if they're interested in talking to you more about this project? Um, I have a... Oh, I'm wondering about the best email. I can send it to you, the best email. And then as far as the script I'm working in right now, per your suggestion on getting it copyrighted um, so that I can share what I have just because, of course, you get a little weary putting work up online if there isn't some sort of protection in place. Yes, listen, copy, let's see, plagiaristic a-holes, stop stealing other people's work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't do yeah. it, we're coming after you. Jerks. <laughs> yeah, so so that's the process right now, and um, if people are interested in in learning more about it or directly contacting me, I can send you an email that is best to reach me at. Okay, great. So get a hold of us mm-hmm. at Script Shop, and I can provide that information. Woo-hoo. Um, yeah, we will have that uh, information then posted on scriptshopshow.com. Mm, apparently Jack's better at saying that than I am. No, not. I'm just, <laughs> it's cool. I've just been drinking coffee for a while. <laughs> Leah, listen, you are, Leah, you are a delight. Oh, my God. Well, thank you. You been... guys have been fantastic. I'm so honored to have been asked to be on your your podcast podcast right yeah 
Yeah, I mean, our, yeah, our yeah. pleasure. So, the pleasure is ours. <laughs> this made, this is this is all the pre-show, girl. We've just been working on this. This ain't the real show yet. We're getting warmed up still. I know, but it's so exciting. I mean, what a what a gift to be able to talk about this script because when it lives inside of you for so long, it it really this has been a an incredible experience sitting and talking with other people about it and hearing it read and. It, thank you. No, no problem. Thank yeah. you. It was a very cool script. We were happy to read it. I, I really enjoyed it very much. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, that was Leah Watson. Ooh, man. Live from Denver. What a writer. What a script. Very cool. Very intense. Um, so, writers, we do love reading your stories. We loved our conversation with Leah. We love the things that come out of you and the reasons why you write them and what they mean. Especially if they're words. <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah, so if through. I don't know you, then I only want to read the thing that comes out of you called a script. Fair enough. Anything else, don't mail it to me. Please, please don't mail it to me. If someone does have words that they want to get to you, well, what's the best way for them to do they, that? Well, Jack, they need to uh, log online to www.scriptshopshow.com slash submit, mm. and there will be information about the show and how you can send your script into us. We want to read it, we want to chat about it, and we want to chat about you. So get online and send us your script. Yeah, if you want to get it out there, we'd love to We'd love to have you on. If you are a listener and you enjoy what you've just heard over the last hour, uh, please uh, rate and subscribe us. Log into iTunes. Uh, tell your friends about it. Tell your dog about it, especially if your dog's a hunter. That's always kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> we really do appreciate it. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Script Shop Show, please give us a thumbs up. Give us a follow. We would uh, appreciate it very, very much. And until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Rock and roll. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.